1: And now, live yeah. from beautiful Myrtleby, South Carolina, you're watching My Fellow Americans with your host, Spike Collins. Yes!
0: Yes, thank you so much. Oh yes, I'm here. It's me. Keep clapping. Clap of the Max Headroom so Miracle. How would we know that you wanted Max Headroom's miracle? If you didn't keep clapping, welcome to my fellow Americans. I am literally Spike Cohen, and uh, yes, this is my Max Headroom background, and um, every, you know, every time I put it up, I think I hope that no one like, suffers any problems from having it in the background. but I do love it so. And, uh, and I love you also, and thank you so much for tuning in tonight. We have a really cool episode. I can't wait to introduce this interview that we did. It is a pre-recorded interview, but I'm going to be in the comments watching you, stalking you talking to you. Every comment you make, I will be there. And I'll actually be able to pay closer attention to your comment because I'll be watching the interview along with you. But anyway, we're about to have a lot of fun. This is a Muddy Waters Media Production. Check us out on Facebook, uh, Instagram, gosh, Twitter, YouTube, everywhere. Check us out on all social media platforms, on all uh, podcasting platforms. Check us out every single place that you can listen or hear or Uh, or watch a thing. And while you are there, if you have not already done so, be sure to like us or subscribe to us or follow us or whatever that thing is that you do to be a part of our thing on that thing. Be sure to do that thing. And if that thing is YouTube, then don't just hit subscribe. Be sure to hit the bell as well because I want your phone to explode with notifications every single time we go live. And of course, be sure right now, whether it's live or pre-recorded. If you are able to do so, share this right now. The last thing I want is for you and your closest loved ones to miss out on a Libertarian podcast that's roughly an hour-ish long, about an hour and a half, actually, uh, about an hour or so long on a Wednesday evening. Give the gift of Spike Cohen today. Kids love it. And actually, uh, it might not be Wednesday when you're sharing this, but I still don't want you to miss out. Kids love it. Uh, And of course, if you want to make sure not to miss out on anything that we ever do, then be sure to become a member of the. Man, we have to figure out what we're calling this club. The Muddy... The. Some, the come join the muddied. Subscribe, I'm going to play it again because I got distracted. Uh, the muddied. Join the muddy waters crew by becoming a, a member by going to anchor.fm slash muddy slash subscribe. You get access to exclusive members only content. Uh, you also get uh, access to an ad-free listening and viewing experience on Spotify and Anchor. Uh, and uh, coming soon, you'll have access to uh, ad-free video viewing as well. Um, and you will also get access to the Muddy Zoom, which is our monthly get-together on Zoom that we do. We just had another really fun one uh, earlier this month. And uh, you also get a, a discount at the Muddy Waters store, which is at muddywatersoffreedom.com store. So much you get. And I know what you're thinking, Spike, that price has to be, it's like $150 a month that's got to cost to be able to get access to all of that. Would you believe that it's less than $150 a month? Would you believe that it's less than $100 a month? Would you believe that it's less than, in fact, $50 a month? And yes, in fact, even less than $20 a month and even less than $15 a month. For $9.99 a month, you get access to all of that stuff. Anchor.fm slash Muddy Waters slash subscribe. Subscribe today. We want you to become a member of our group. We have to come up with a name for it. Maybe if you become a member, you could come up with a name. Oh, also, we like you more if you join. There's that as well. This episode, of course, is brought to you by the Libertarian Party Waffle House Caucus, the fastest growing and second largest caucus in the Libertarian Party, sick of the infighting, sick of uh, bland do-nothing messaging from the Libertarian Party, want to become a member of the Takeover? Join the Waffle House Caucus because we're, well, we're not going to do anything about any of that actually, uh, but we are going to have fun, and uh, we do a lot of uh, a lot of fun stuff in there. So join the Waffle House Caucus by going to the Facebook group Libertarian Party Waffle House Caucus. Uh, or you can become an official voting member of the caucus, which means absolutely nothing, because again, we don't really do anything uh, other than have fun. Uh, but you can go to muddywatersoffreedom.com slash store, and, uh, and you can uh, buy some Libertarian Party Waffle House caucus merchandise. The Gravy King, Joe Soloski. Joe is running for governor of Pennsylvania. Joe Soloski is the key to Pennsylvania's success. And if you'd like to help Joe become the first libertarian governor ever, and we're about to see what happens when we get libertarians elected to positions of power and influence, I don't want to bury the lead, but it's actually, it's good. It's good. You should still watch it, but it's good. Uh, if you want to help him become the, uh, the next guy that can come on the show and talk about all the stuff he's doing as Libertarian Governor, the first one ever, go to JoeSoloski.com. That's J-O-E-S-O-L-O-S-K-I.com. Mudwater, the most appropriately named sponsor that Muddy Waters Media has ever had. If you woke up today and said, Spike, I am so sick of bland messaging from the libertarian party well folks i can't help you with that we already established that but what i can do uh is tune you into some really good coffee alternative huh that's what you need uh maybe you're a little too wound up uh go to uh if you go to moneywatersoffreedomcom mud you can get mud water coffee alternative which is made out of these things masala chai cacao mushrooms turmeric sea salt cinnamon and literally nothing else now i know what you're thinking spike Does that have any caffeine in it? Am I going to be able to uh, stay pepped up but not get too uh, wound up and and not end up crashing or dying of some caffeine-related illness? Well, yes. That is exactly what will happen. Uh, A cup of mud water uh, has about one-seventh of the caffeine of a cup of regular coffee. Just enough caffeine to get you all happy and pepped up and ready for the day like this. I'm ready for the day. But not so much caffeine that you end up crashing and dealing with heart disease and depression and addiction problems like this I have addiction problems and heart problems. So go to muddywatersoffreedom.com/ mud and get your starter pack today Defy the power and stitches and glitches sell some of the best tumblers I have ever seen and I have quite a few of them so I can speak from authority on this um, they have they make the best quality tumblers, and uh, they keep your hots hot, they keep your colds cold, they keep your lukewarms lukewarm, they keep pretty much whatever temperature you put your liquids in there, uh, it will keep it at that exact temperature with zero variance uh, for an ungodly number of hours, I don't remember the number of hours, but it was a lot, and uh, also they do free customization for free, I know I already said free, but it's free, free customization, that's unheard of, I've never heard of such a thing. Well, I have with this. Outside of this, I haven't heard of this. If you ask me to customize something, I'm not doing it for free. I'm charging you. But they'll do it for free. So if you go to either Stitches and Glitches or DefyThePower.com, you can get tumblers, And uh, they can use the code MUDDYTUMBLER to get 10% off. But act fast because it ends this month. And this time they mean it. Because last time when they ended it and we kept forgetting and telling you, and then you would order stuff from them and use the code MUDDYTUMBLER for 10% off and they just kept doing it because they're nice they're not going to do it anymore they're not going to do it anymore after the end of the month so use code money tumblr you get 10 percent off and free customization with or without the code and that continues on even into march stitches and glitches and defythepower.com if you just finished listening to all these ads and said spike i'm so sick of you and i'm so sick of these ads i'm leaving this grump and I'm going to sue you. Well, good luck, pal, because if you're in Florida, I'm going to sue you back even harder with personal injury attorney, Chris Reynolds, attorney at law. Yes, that's right, folks. If you live in the state of Florida and you've been personally injured, then you can contact personal injury attorney, Chris Reynolds, attorney at law by going to chrisreynoldslaw.com, and Chris will get you so much money. You'll never have to work a day in your life again when Chris Reynolds is done with you. As long as you've actually been injured. If you haven't been injured, he's probably going to tell you to get out of his office. But if you have been injured, all the money, just a pouring down to you. That's a direct quote, Chris Reynolds.
1: Purr,
0: pouring down on you. Okay, he's gonna make it rain of your own money, but he'll take it and do that to you for free. If you don't want that, he'll just give you the money. He'll probably just like give it in like a check or direct deposit or something. But if you want, Chris will get on the ladder, take all that money, and just. Sprinkle it down on you, ChrisReynoldsLaw.com, and for fifty bucks, I'll help him. Well, plus travel costs. I'll do it. You'll have so much money, it'll seem like a bargain at that point. A couple grand, bring me down. I'll do it. Uh, the intro and outro music to this and every episode of the uh, what is this show? Called? My fellow Americans. I'm so uh, we didn't do "Money's Waters of Freedom," so I'm still, I'm still uh, coping. Uh, the intro music to this and every episode. Of my fellow Americans it comes from the amazing and talented Mr. Joe Davi, J O D A V I. Check him out on Facebook, SoundCloud. Go to his Bandcamp, bandcamp.com No, JoeDaviMusic.Bandcamp.com, and you can buy his entire discography for like twenty something dollars. He just dropped a new album and a new single. His music is incredible. Just go over there, give, give him money, give him money, get his music, money for music. Money for music. Joe Davi. Thank you so much, Joe Davi. I'd like to thank Lib Bleu for this delicious water that I'm drinking on this episode. Always good water. Always Le Bleu. I want them to give me money. I've been doing this for a long time. Or just water. They could just give me the water at this point. Honestly, boulevardaka. Shout out to Tehran Turks' his mom and him as always. I am. I just can't wait. I'm gonna go right into this. This guest is incredible. You are going to really enjoy this. If you sit there and go, "Okay, sure, libertarians are getting elected across the country, but what's that actually mean? Are they actually doing anything? Is there anything happening there? Why? Why would I keep supporting this if I don't even? What are they doing? They go in there and they're just a libertarian, but are they actually like? I wanted to fight for liberty and freedom and fight against tyranny. I don't know why you sound like this, but you make a valid point. Um, And uh, I think you won't be asking that after looking at this episode. This is exactly what happens. Uh, This interview... And the things that we talk about are exactly what happens when a libertarian gets elected to office. I don't even know how to intro. This is just just watch it. This is incredible. I'm so happy. Check this out. Folks, my guest tonight is the elected sheriff of Santa Cruz County, Arizona. Uh, I'm I'm having him on to talk about some issues that are happening locally in his area, many of which affect uh, our issues that affect the uh, entire country, many other regions of the country. Ladies and gentlemen, my fellow Americans. Please welcome to the show, Sheriff David Hathaway. David, thanks so much for coming on. I really appreciate you coming on. Yeah,
1: Well, thank you, Spike, for inviting me. This is going to be an interesting conversation. I always enjoy listening to your podcast.
0: Oh, thank you. I appreciate that. And uh, and uh, I am happy to have you on. I can't wait to get into this. Folks, uh, if you are tuning in, be sure to uh, ask me uh, your thoughts, and or ask me and, and Sheriff Hathaway. Give us your thoughts and questions, and we will tell you if you are right or or wrong. Uh now uh, I am here Pathway. I will do that. Uh before we get started, uh, I always ask people when they first come on the show this is this is your first time as a guest on the show, what is it that got you where you are right now? What was the was there an aha moment or was it just a series of events that got you to decide to take this path in life? Um everyone has a genesis story. Tell us the David Hathaway story. Oh,
1: well, nutshell. you know, I grew up as a rancher, as a cowboy, we still have ranching property. Uh, my family has been in ranching since the 1800s in Arizona, since before Arizona became a state, Arizona became a state in 1912. So kind of that independent lifestyle, just kind of, you know, always wearing a gun, riding around on a horse, uh, you know, it's instilled in me. And a lot of that was from my dad, you know, very, uh, you know, very practical person. Uh, you know, you know, believed in you know uh, self determination, and just once, you know, in that ranching lifestyle, um, helped with that. What really cemented it for me is, I was a um, uh, management with uh, DEA, the Drug Enforcement Administration. Saw um, you know Reagan's drug war in South America. Saw the the drug war throughout the United States, and just seeing the futility of that. You would think that people would have learned those lessons from alcohol prohibition that they would seen that pattern repeating itself that results in, you know, more laws and it just continually expands. Um, So that, that was kind of it for me. And then living here on the border, I've seen uh, in, in my County in Arizona, we have the biggest ports of entry with Mexico of any County in Arizona of the four counties that border Mexico. And we have the largest border patrol stations, uh, the the biggest one in the United States is in my county, and the third biggest one oh, wow. in the United States. So I've seen kind of a lot of the abuses, the police state that has developed along the border, the lack of yeah. any need for probable cause or pro- constitutional protections against search, search and seizure, the Fourth Amendment being violated all the time, and kind of from seeing all that, talking about the aha moment, seeing all that, the failed drug war, and and the kind of the abuses that happen along. The southern border. Um, You know, I wrote a book talking about that subject, and I was fortunate enough to have Scott Horton write the foreword for it, and and Will Grigg, rest in peace, wrote a blurb for the for the back cover of that book as well, discussing this whole crazy situation where uh, CBP claims to have a. A, uh, a, a Fourth Amendment free zone within 100 yes. miles of the border. And yes. I get pulled over all the time, you know, and I'm a big, tall gringo, you know, 6'4". And, uh, you know, I don't look Hispanic or anything, but they give the same spiel to me. Like I say, why are you pulling me over? They say we don't have to have any reason. Uh, we have extended border search authority given to us by the Supreme Court of the U.S. Anywhere within 100 miles of the international border. We can we can pull you over for any reason and we can search your car for any reason and detain you for any reason. And um, and what's funny, Spike, is that uh, two thirds of the population of the U.S. lives within 100 miles of the border. You know, you look at Los Angeles, Miami, New York, uh, you know, two thirds, you know, 200 million people of the 335 million people that live in the U.S. live within this constitution free zone. Um, I'm one of them. I, you know I I kind of I, I kind of butted heads with libertarians that want to have state action in the immigration sphere um, and but in every other sphere of life they want the state to wither away they want voluntary yes. arrangements, free enterprise private interaction, But in that one area, I mean, there's just Just, a few libertarians very vocal about this, that they still want the state involved in border enforcement and immigration. So that's why I wrote this book. It's a very niche book. It's only kind of for libertarians that are confused about the infighting within the libertarian world of uh, like, why do we still need the state involved in border enforcement and immigrations, but we want it to go away? in in every other area so that's kind of it of the sort of the aha moment and sort of my progress my journey towards uh you know just thinking we only need to have a voluntary society you know the invisible hand of the market can solve everything
0: absolutely and this by the way and incidentally as you mentioned that 100 mile zone uh the reason that that two-thirds of the population fit within that or or live within that uh, 100 mile zone is as as you said it's along any border they call the shoreline a border because it's a border yeah. with international waters. So I yes. live in Myrtle Beach, which is, I don't know, thousands of miles from any or, or well, at least a thousand miles from the Canadian border and more than that from the Mexican border. And yet, because I'm a few blocks from the ocean, the technically border patrol or anyone they deputize can detain me without any probable cause. If it, All they have to do is go to court afterwards and say, oh, well, this was because of uh, immigration enforcement. This was a national security issue for yeah. immigration enforcement.
1: And it's and, just, and, it's insane. And what kind of boggles my mind on all this is if you have – say you have a state-caused problem. You have a state-caused problem. As a libertarian, we shouldn't propose another state solution to a state-caused yes, problem. And a lot of people exactly. will talk about, well, is there a welfare magnet to, to some people coming to the US, yeah. even though most of them are coming here to work and they're less likely to apply for welfare benefits than native born Americans. But still, yes. you know, there's that argument. Okay, well, what we should say is just end welfare, end the state program that's causing a problem. Let me give you an, an example of that. If we go back to the, the era of alcohol prohibition from 1920 to 1933, okay, we learned that that was a failed disastrous effort, but what did it result in? It resulted in the first gang activity in the U.S., the first drive-by shootings in the U.S. They all Al Capone and all that sort of stuff. Yep. So you know what they did? They said, you know, we need another state program to solve the problem caused by the first state program. And then we had the National Firearms Act in 1934. Remember, yep. alcohol prohibition was from 1920 to 1933, there was a lot of violence, clashes between gangs and police, because when you drive an industry underground, um, it's going to produce violent encounters, violent interactions, which it did. You had the first drive-by shootings in the U.S., the first gang activity in the U.S. that was like violent, you know, criminal on criminal or criminal on police activity. So the response to that was, they drafted the National Firearms Act of 1934, and that's when a lot of kind of weapons became illegal—full yeah. uh, automatic weapons, you know, short-barreled rifles, short-barreled shotguns—and they thought, well, we need another state program to solve a problem caused by the original state program. So let's let's fast forward to now the immigration topic. So you have, let's say, a problem that is maybe partly caused by state activity by having welfare inducements to immigrate. The welfare inducements would be things like um, housing subsidies, Section 8 housing, food stamps, free public schools, free medical care, um, you know, things like that that are welfare inducements to immigrate. Now, what you shouldn't do is just say, as a libertarian, if you're going to be a principled libertarian, you shouldn't say philosophically that we need to have another state program called CBP to start pointing guns at people and throwing people in jail. What you should do is get rid of the original state program. Let me do another analogy. Like when I... I was uh, management in DEA and the Drug Enforcement Administration Um, for and I worked in South America for eight years. I worked along the border. I worked in the Midwest, uh, in Washington, Illinois, Missouri. But we noticed when I ran a drug task force in Illinois that the welfare checks came in on the last day of the month. And there was a big uptick in purchasing Uh, Drugs, illegal drugs, cocaine, methamphetamine, heroin, you know, the old saying, idle hands is the devil's workshop. So you subsidize people with uh, welfare payments. And when the, when the welfare money came in, when the checks came in, there was a big influx of cocaine and methamphetamine that came into the area because the drug dealers smart entrepreneurs knew (laughs) that there was going to be a big uptick in in purchasing in demand so you know you could you could use that same logic from the prohibition era and the firearms laws you could say well we noticed that when the welfare money comes in there's a lot more drug distribution that, that comes in, coincides yep. with the welfare checks. So you know what you could say? You could say, let's create a drug war. Let's create another um, state program. Let's create something like DEA and drug task yep. forces to go after these people who are exchanging substances because we noticed that the first state program, the welfare substances, sub, uh, subsidies, are increasing the d- demand for drugs. So you could just say, well, how do we solve that? We don't end the welfare, we make a drug war to go to, to go after all the drug transactions that are happening with the, the welfare money, the welfare subsidies. So yeah, it exactly. doesn't make any sense to me that certain people, and they're, they're great friends of mine, and I interact with them and I write articles for their websites, that they are anti-state in every other aspect of their being but certain ones of them just want that. state enforcement. They they yeah. they want guys to bust you in the head and point guns at you and throw you in jail on that one topic. And you know if if you wouldn't mind um, me just uh, reading a little bit out of out of my book there. And of course these sure. aren't all all of them. The the ones that are this way are certain Austrian economists. But by not by no means, not all Austrian Mm. economists, I believe in Austrian economics. I think it most fully and completely explains explains how human action, human beings interact with each other. But if you would indulge me uh, to read this, uh, this is Bob Higgs, Austrian economist who has lived in Mexico for years, and he's on the correct side of the issue. Um, He's talking about this analogy where people say you should you you can invite or exclude anybody into your home, so you should be able to exclude anybody from a whole nation state. He says, with free entry by immigrants, I would be fully as justified and able to forbid their entry into my home as I am to forbid the entry of U.S. citizens. But I do not own your home, and should you wish to invite Albanians, Mongolians, or Siberians into your home, it is none of my business, and it would be an act of sheer impudence for me, or my alleged agent, the government of the USA, to interfere with your hospitality. The analogy between one's home or other private property and the territory of the nation state is not simply overdrawn, but it is stupid. And he says, (laughs) and equally stupid, and utterly unworthy of anyone calling himself a libertarian or even more so an anarchist is the claim that until complete privatization is established over all property in the country, we can and should, as a second best resort, support the U.S. or state government's enforcement of exclusionary laws. So I think he he nails it right on the head there that yeah. there, yeah. if you're an advocate for liberty or anarchism, you know, voluntary interactions, then how can you possibly say anything other than, you know, uh, get rid of the state. One of, one of my favorite websites has in the tagline, it says anti-state. You see that on everything on the page. Um, yeah. yeah, but some people say, well, we need the state in, in this one area, <laughs> So, it, which kind of doesn't make sense to me.
0: No, it doesn't. And the thing is, like, the, the shorthand of it is saying, look at these sociopaths who created this terrible problem. I demand that they come up with a way to fix this problem, not by getting rid of the original problem, but by creating a new program, surely they'll be able to fix it. It's it, it, it doesn't stand it doesn't pass the sniff test. And it leads to and I, I've, I've had multiple debates where I've talked with uh, anarchist fellow anarchists, and fellow libertarians who are in favor of, of border enforcement. And you know, what I always, you know, ask is, we see what this leads to we don't have to Uh, estimate guesstimate what a government enforcement of uh, or state enforcement of a border would look like we see what it looks like it looks like everyone's rights being violated it looks like raiding private workplaces and taking out workers and then putting them in 800 hundred dollar a day cages which somehow is going to solve the welfare state problem and and you know we, we see all of this we don't have to guess what it would look like and if we say okay well well we don't want that but we, we do want to be able to decide who is allowed or not allowed on our property or, or in our immediate neighborhood of, of uh, consenting uh, um, property owners. Okay, great, then advocate for that. Don't advocate for yeah. the state to have this, this fortress state authority around us. Uh, and and, you and just as a side note, for those who are watching this, how much would you like to have your sheriff quoting Robert Higgs on a libertarian podcast?
1: I just well, turned that out. Next time I'm, I'm gonna quote Hans Hermann and Hoppe and Bastiat next though. So, you know, listen, w- go ahead. The, go ahead. You know, I, I love Hoppe, everything that he's written, you know, Democracy, the God That Failed, and all, and all yep. the other things in Rothbard. But Hoppe is one of the persons that is kind of quoted and referred to as being as advocating state enforced borders, which is really weird, because in my book, like I said, this is a really niche book. And it's all about the Austrian perspective of looking at the immigration and border enforcement issues. And it's It's called immigration, private versus national borders. Yes, we do have private borders around our own property. um, But how can you have some external influence? Like, let's call that influence darth vader how can i like i have ranch property right here near the border so why can't i invite mexicans to either work or rent from me or something like that onto my property because yeah it's my property i can exclude or invite anybody i want but what's the rationale for having a third party like let's call him darth vader that makes a second border around my private property borders and says no I, I am overriding your ability to invite or exclude whoever you want. I'm saying you can't invite these persons in. And, and since I mentioned Hoppe is one of the ones that people refer to on this issue as yes. yeah. um, being in favor of the enforced borders, on, on everything else, he's really good. And if you use his own logic against him, like let me quote some things like he says that, Uh, any talk of society as an actor is meaningless. This isn't just his general writings, not on the immigration topic. He says only individuals act. Any talk about society as an actor is meaningless. So how can you speak of what all of society should want in the realm of border enforcement or um, iPads or what kind of tennis shoes you wanna buy? or what kind of food you eat, or anything else. That's a central planning. That's a collectivist, a technocratic mindset that you need a technocratic yes. elite to make macroeconomic decisions for the whole society rather than having microeconomic decisions being made by individuals, like what Austrian economists called subjective preferences. You don't know what the preferences are, are going to be of each individual. Until you let That's them right. act, then you can see their demonstrated preference. But, you know, Hoppe on all other areas, he says... Um, you know, any talk about society as an actor is meaningless. You can never talk about what society wants. Like, you can never talk yeah. about what a whole nation wants. Only individuals act. And he says um, that you cannot aggregate aggregate the uh, the utility of what society wants. He says any talk about adding up the sensations of different individuals is to engage in an entirely meaningless exercise. So how can you say that everybody in a country, say the United States, doesn't want Mexicans or Albanians or Nigerians to either come, you know, uh, live on your land and, or rent, rent a house property, from you yeah. or marry your daughter or you employ them or, or or whatever. You can't say that universally 100% of the people in, in society, um, you know, don't want people to come visit them on their property from some certain other country or culture so you're exactly. overriding the the will of the individual and that's kind of the fallacy of democracy you know is that you get somebody a technocrat <laughs> or a majority yes. or somebody or voters to overrule mm-hmm. the will of individual peoples. And exactly. and and if I can refer to another thing that, uh, that Hoppe talks about, I'm not sure, Spike, if you've heard of the Pareto test, the Pareto test of social welfare, you have Pareto superior, Pareto inferior, and Pareto op- optimality. What it is in economics terms, because this this book of mine dissects how this is wrong. Economists, libertarian economists that use this argument, they're wrong. There's a tr- transaction called a Pareto superior transaction. That means if two people voluntarily exchange something and at least one person benefits, that's called a Pareto superior transaction. Now, if okay. Uh, one person is harmed and the other person is is not harmed. That's called a Pareto inferior uh, test. Now, the ideal is Pareto optimality. That means both people in the transaction, both sides of the transaction, benefit from the transaction. So if we apply that test that Hoppe applies in other things he's written, the Pareto test of social welfare, if you look at the... the, in the um, the state involvement along the border prohibiting work transactions uh cultural visits uh family visits uh permitting uh, restricting people from inviting people onto their property from some other country well that is clearly violated the uh, Pareto optimality test that's a Pareto inferior transaction at least one side of that intervention has been harmed when CBP says you can't visit your family member in the U.S. or you can't work for this person in the U.S. So I know I'm kind of getting into the weeds there. And that's no, why it's, this it's, book that I wrote is a niche book. It's only for people who really can't understand the feud between libertarians on this topic. Like, why don't we just get the state out of all aspects of our life? And and, and this analyzes it from the perspective of Austrian economics And so it's, you know, somewhat of a, I guess you could say a dry book, a very niche book, but I wanted to refute this. And as I was exploring this, what Murray Rothbard wrote on this, what Heinz Hermann Hoppe wrote on this, as I did the personal exploration and read a lot of things and made a lot of notes, I thought, well, I'm going to turn it into a book because I was doing it to inform myself, but maybe other people would be interested in in the arguments and the fallacies.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And what is the name of that book?
1: Um, It's called Immigration... And the subtitle is "Individual versus National Borders," so you can get it on Amazon or anything else. And if you email me a mailing address, Spike, I'll send you one. I should have sent you one before this, but it's in ebook form or print form. You can get it on Amazon, but I'll mail you a copy if you. I would love that. I can't. I
0: I can't. I can't wait to read that. So it's called "Immigration: Individual versus National Borders," and and by by David Hathaway. And so. Um, yeah, no, listen, you have no argument for me. This has been an endless thing I've I've had. It, actually, one of the when I was transitioning away from being a conservative to a libertarian several years ago, the last statist bugaboo that I had to let go was border enforcement. This uh, not even ration based idea. Well, they at the very least need to protect our borders. Well, they're not. Ours, they're theirs, and uh, they're the ones choosing what's being enforced. And why do they have to? And I, and I realized after a while, any of the arguments I had for why I no longer actually believed because I was now a libertarian. I didn't believe that we needed government to uh, protect right. us. I didn't believe that we needed government uh, it, to make if you decisions really are, for employers yeah, If you really are, if you really are like a that.
1: voluntarist or uh, an anarchist. You have to believe that the market can provide solutions for everything. And I can tell you, Spike, about a big risk that people don't know about, a big risk of the build the wall mentality, build the wall. Like, you know, it's kind of funny that Republicans have flip-flopped on this. If you go back 25, 30 years ago, you can have Ronald Reagan making a speech in front of the Brandenburg Gate at the Berlin Wall, Iron Curtain, saying, Mr. Gorbachev, tear down this wall. You say that you are emerging from totalitarianism totalitarianism you're emerging into freedom prove it Te- tear down this wall because walls are symbols of you know you know of uh, you know n- dishonoring private enterprise <laughs> and interaction exactly. so let, let me tell you something that's happening down here that your viewers probably don't know about but i live right here on the border um walls not only keep people out but they keep you in like in the East Germans notice that they couldn't leave East Germany. You had to stay in your tyrannical thing. And you think, no, but that Mm -hmm. wouldn't happen here. No, it's already happened. 10 years ago, there was a pilot project in my town and I have the biggest ports of entry with Mexico here in my County in Santa Cruz County, Arizona, a pilot project where CBP officers began standing in the southbound lanes in the outbound lanes searching cars leaving the united states going into mexico interviewing people taking money taking possessions as people yeah. left the u.s so you saw that happening in east germany but people think well that that, wouldn't that would happen in, happen in the happen u.s there. well yeah. you know when yeah. you make walls and you restrict the access points to the other country i mean those those access points are also a safety valve to get away from tyranny. And there's a lot of expatriates that move from the United States to Mexico, to Mazatlan, yes. Guaymas, uh, San Carlos, different places south of here where they can get a nice house, very affordable, live on the ocean. Uh, but they want to take their stuff with them, or some people keep a house in the U.S. and a house in Mexico. Mm-hmm. Um and, you know, so they can have that escape if everything, if, if things get so bad here, but now when you're right. exporting your wealth, your gold coins, your money, they are, and, and that started as a pilot project 10 years ago, now they have built permanent structures in the southbound lanes, where officers are continually fully staffed, not just a pilot project, searching cars, leaving the U.S., and seizing money under civil asset forfeiture, not charging you with a crime. Where did you get this money? Prove that this is legitimate money. Prove that this is not money from drug trafficking. And So they'll take it and then it's up to the individual to file what's called a claim and cost bond to actually prove that the legitimate source come up with tax records or pay stubs or something to show that the money is legitimate. They'll take the money and not charge you with a crime and just let you go on your way. And I'm going to I'm just going to talk about something that I was just interviewed on on the local media. Um, You won't be able to see this article, but I'm going to hold it up here. It says gate gate crashing wreaks havoc on Mexico-bound traffic at Mariposa. So what is this? (laughs) This is an event that I had to do a lot of interviews with, that the cars going into Mexico are being stopped and searched by U.S. officials before they go into Mexico and having money and assets taken away from them um, and just turned loose and not charged with a crime. A car crashed through the gate going into Mexico where the U.S. officials had put up a gate barring traffic from going into Mexico so they could search cars one at a time. This individual crashes through the gate, breaks the gate off its hinges, and then all the CB people descend on this individual like, you know, he's the worst criminal in the world for just wanting to enter a foreign country, but the U.S. doesn't want to let him leave the U.S. until yeah. he searched. So when I was a kid and I grew up here, I was born in this same town on the border that would be unheard of, you know, and and you could at the very least leave the country between the borders. You, could, you know, All it was back when I was a kid was a four-strand barbed wire cattle fence, just a livestock fence between the U.S. and Mexico. You could just walk across the fence and go into Mexico, but if they succeed in building an impenetrable wall along the border, your only option for leaving will be to go through these ports of entry where they're now searching the cars and the people leaving the U.S. So, if you didn't think that could happen, if you thought that's something of East Germany, that's happening now. That's one it's of the right now. negative outcomes of walls. They not only keep people out, but they keep Americans in, or they keep people in the country.
0: Exactly, and that's. I mean, it's a funny thing about walls is that uh, they apply the, the the laws of physics work both ways, and especially when there are people there with guns, making sure that you uh, that you uh, stop at the at the entry and exit points. Um, I am I'm glad to see to have you on because uh one of my my biggest things that I've been trying to say to libertarians you know we focus a lot on like the white house somewhere that we there's something that we really, uh, you know, we're not in a position to really be able to try to contend for. uh, And we'll focus on like running for governor running for Senate and things like that. By the way, I say this as someone who ran for vice president in 2020. But I did so understanding what that role was, it was to help bring people into the libertarian party, it was to help bring people into a libertarian message, it was to use that as a platform for talking about libertarianism, I recognized it for what it was. But having liberty-minded people, having voluntarists, having anarchists, having libertarians that are running for sheriff, you are now, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, you're now the top elected uh, law enforcement official in your county.
1: Is that correct? That's correct. And there's no other elected law enforcement officials, you can't get rid of your local police chief, he's appointed all the heads of the federal agencies are all appointed. And the sheriff was the only one that existed in law enforcement at the founding of this country. There was no police departments, there was a guy named Robert Peel, who started the first, quote unquote, police department in England, in London. And then that was replicated in the US and New York City and Chicago. And now it's gone all across the US. But in the beginning of this country, it was just the sheriff, which is a common law tradition brought over from England. Um, that that is the officer of the court when a judge decides anything in a civil matter or a criminal matter it's to the up to the sheriff to be the arms and legs of the court to actually implement his seizure his orders in a tangible world like if you said you're going to buy a guy's mule for $100 he gives you the mule you never pay him the $100 they go to the judge the judge gives a writ of execution to the sheriff and he goes and retrieves the, the mule and returns it to the rightful owner but yeah you know um, I just gave Joe Jorgensen um, a tour of the border um, and you know and i've talked to to her and other libertarian groups just went to a Tom Woods event up in Las Vegas about how one of the silver linings spike from the last two years of all the mandates and the tyranny over the last two years, one of the silver linings is I think people have lost all faith in national level politics. They know that it doesn't matter if it's Democrat or Republican, national level yes. politics, you can't look those people in the face. They'll say one thing during their campaign and then do something completely different, it means uh, something you know, when again. their office, like I had Joe Jorgensen over to our ranch house when, you know, when she was down here and we talked over all this stuff. So, um, Yeah, like I think if you're going to have any faith in politics, which I don't have any faith in politics, but if you're going to have faith in politics, it needs to be at the local level. And the sheriff is the only guy where the rubber meets the road that you can actually look him in the face and chew him out. And if he won't talk to you, or if he hides from you, you can throw him out of office. All these other police departments, they're appointed. Like when I was in the DEA, those are appointed positions. When I was the office head in different places around the world, and the same with CBP or FBI or anything else, you can't expect those people to be accountable. And they won't talk to you. Like, you know, it's a funny thing, Spike, here is um, one of the biggest surprises of me being sheriff. I've been sheriff for a year and I'm replacing the longest serving sheriff in Arizona. So everybody and their brother wanted to run There's six candidates. But I've just finished my first year being sheriff. One of the biggest surprises is all the media interviews. Some uh, weeks I do over 20 interviews a week with all the major national networks. And I speak Spanish. So I do on the Spanish networks too, Telemundo oh, wow. and Univision. The biggest surprise is they don't want to talk anything about what I do in the county. They want me to talk about federal issues, the border yeah. immigration, and all that kind of stuff. You know why? Is because, um, the, the the management in the federal agencies won't do media interviews, and that's by policy. Oh. Um, they can't just go to CBP or ICE, Homeland Security, DEA, and do a media interview because they oh. all have a policy to refer refer any media requests to the public information officer that's either in Washington or in a regional office in Phoenix. So it's actually given me the opportunity I never knew this would happen, but I've kind of become the de facto spokesman for border issues. And I've memorized all the statistics, the apprehension statistics and everything, Yeah, yeah, yeah. just because yeah. The, the federal officials won't talk to them and they're all federal issues. And I'm a county sheriff, so those are not oh. my issues. But I wind up speaking on it because I want to be transparent and I don't want to tell people, no, I'm not going to talk to you because it looks like you have right. something to hide. So it's kind of I've fallen into that role just because the feds won't talk to the media about border stuff.
0: I love it. And you're a sheriff on the border. So who better to talk yeah. to, right? I love it. I love it. So obviously, I mean, that it, just the fact that you're doing that on a day-to-day basis is probably doing more to spread liberty than 99.9% of us will ever do. I, I wanted to talk with you about uh, the COVID restrictions because you were elected, uh i you said it for about a year so you were elected right around the time that the COVID restrictions were hitting or i guess yeah. maybe just after or was
1: yeah well no my campaign was when everybody had done here we they had done mandates where you know you know shut down businesses and you had to wear a mask and all these kind of things so that was right when i was heavy in my campaign i did a real oh, okay uh you know down to earth knocking on doors campaign my wife went with me she wrote thousands of letters to everybody we talked to so right in the middle of that, and they had just enacted a a mask mandate, and they did a candidate forum, and just tell you a little antidote for all the sheriffs, all the candidates running for sheriff, and the moderator was the chief superior court judge for the county, so he asked questions that people submitted on Facebook, and I knew it was inevitably going to get to the question about the mask mandate since the sheriff enforces the law, and so all the other candidates got the question before me, um, and they each had one minute to respond, and they all said, yep, ultimately I'll charge people, I'll arrest them. I'll, you know, I will require them to wear a mask. So they got to me. And so then the judge who was moderator asked me, okay, uh, David Hathaway, will you enforce the mask rule if somebody doesn't want to wear a mask? And I said, no, I mean, people may have health concerns. At that point, there had already been studies showing where they'd put masks under microscopes, and they would, you know, have like multiple mold colonies and bacteria colonies, and you're breathing in those things. There had been examples of people operating heavy equipment who had gotten You know lethargy from hypoxia or reduced oxygen intake, and they had uh, they had crashed vehicles. There had been incidents of people operating heavy machinery that had been wearing masks. So I was able to cite some of those things, and I also said, talked about the constitutional issues too. um, That at that same time, our county board of supervisors had said you can't get together with ten or more people without permission from the county board of supervisors, and they weren't giving any permission. So. I made the point during that forum that that clearly violates the first amendment, freedom of assembly, freedom of religion, yeah. all the churches had shut down to say that yeah. you can't get together with other people. So the local media just went nuts on me. Um, they tried <laughs> to crucify me on this. Our local paper wrote a big hit piece on me saying how I'm all wrong and messed up and mass. Yeah. There's no indication that master could be harmful and everyone should comply with this. Um, you know, and, and it's funny, like, that article set the record for the number the, the most online comments for their paper they usually get no comments or maybe one or yeah. two comments but there was over 300 comments uh you know it became a very contentious issue and then you know what people told me spike they said after that you just cost yourself the campaign you just shot yourself in the foot you should have gone on the bandwagon you should have go with yes. the flow you just cost, cost yourself the election by opposing the mandates and then lo and behold election day comes and I not only won by a landslide, I had four times as many votes as the guy who came in second place. Remember, multiple candidates, the guy who had came in second yeah. place, I had yeah. four times as many votes as him. And when people told me, you're going to lose the election for going against the mandates, I, I told them, well, if the voters are that dumb that they're going to vote against me for that, then I should lose. you know." But I think people aren't going to get mad at me for standing up for their freedoms. And then fast forward a little bit, my first month in office was January, and I knew this whole... Idea of vaccine passports was just around the corner, so I studied up on the law on that. And sure enough, when I was in office two weeks in January, mid-January, I got a call from the county attorney saying, um, "Hey, hey, sheriff, do you want to make it mandatory for everybody in your agency that they have to take the shot as a condition of their employment?" And fortunately, right. I had researched all the legal aspects of this, and I said. No, I'm going to abide by the legal principle of informed consent. And the American with Americans with Disabilities Act and HIPAA, which is the Health Insurance Portability and Accountability Act, they both have provisions, medical privacy provisions, where you can't inquire about anybody's medical decisions and you can't compel them to do anything. And of course, the Nuremberg Code indicates those same things. So they said, okay, fine, then you'll save us the trouble of... They said, we will write this up for you. We will write up the legal documents to make it mandatory as a condition of employment with the sheriff's office if you want to do that. And I said, no. And that's one of the things I'm proud of that that set a precedent here because the way the vaccinations were rolled out in Arizona, they were rolled out in three phases. And one of the first phases was what they call, you know, law enforcement, first responders, firefighters. So everybody was looking at me. And when I said, no... The local fire departments and the police department saw my example and they went along with it. And then I got a call from one of our county board of supervisors, upset with this trend that I was causing, and saying, Do you know (laughs) that less than 50% of the officers in the local police department are not vaccinated? And he said, I demand to know how many people in your organization are vaccinated. And I told him, I have no idea because I'm not allowed to ask that. I'm not allowed to ask people's private medical decisions. So yeah, I, I fought the battle on mask and on the the vaccine mandates. And fortunately, I think, like I said, to toot my own horn a little bit, I think I set some good precedents that other people followed in this area.
0: Exactly. And the thing is, they're mad at you about the low adoption rate uh, for the vaccine. But that's the actual people who wanted to get vaccinated because you didn't say you're required to do this, right. you're going to lose your job, bad things are going to happen to you. So when people are trumpeting high vaccination numbers and saying this is proof that people want the vaccine mandate. No, that compared to areas where it's not mandated, that difference are the number of people who have been Forced and threatened and coerced into getting vaccinated, which is why so many vaccinated people don't. So even those who voluntarily chose to get vaccinated, wanted to get vaccinated, were happy to get vaccinated, are against these mandates. So I know I right. think it's great. And frankly, when you're in a you know, just looking at this politically, when you're in a debate with six people and all of them say yes to something and you say no to something or all of them say no to something and you say yes to something, Typically, what happened was you actually probably ensured that you were going to get elected. If for no other reason than the yes, the people that supported yes are being split out over six different candidates. You are the no, you you solidified yourself and you know this as the I'm not going to make you do things you don't want to do candidate, which for whatever portion of the population, you now had that locked down.
1: Yeah. And then, you know, there's no, they say there's a saying there's no such thing as bad publicity. And you're right. I never came down and said, I am against you wearing a mask. My position is it's your decision. I'm not against you getting vaccinated. It's your decision. It's your body. You have bodily autonomy. You have personal sovereignty over yourself as a, you know, a self-owned individual, you know, so you're right. I didn't say you're you're a lunatic and you're wrong and i and and, right. and i i oppose you wearing a mask but the problem is like i noticed here is most of the people that wore a mask, um if you talk to them they didn't really believe in it they just were going along to get to get along yes. you know they just want to keep their hang uh, head down and not make any waves not cause any problems and i was on uh Mark Victor's podcast. uh, He's uh, the Attorneys for Freedom, kind of a freedom advocate and attorney. And he, he asked me the question. He said, well, what about private businesses that want to mandate a mask to enter their business? Are you in favor of that? And I told him, well, yeah, absolutely. But there's a lie in there because all of the mask mandates here in Arizona and the occupancy mandates, they all said, they all had included in it, if you're going to be open, you have to have a sign on your business that says mask required to enter. So you go around seeing all these private businesses with a mask required sign on the outside. What you don't know is because most people didn't read the uh, the mask mandate order like we had one at the city level and at the county level here. And I read both of, both of them. And they even had a little template in there that you could print out a little sign that you could print out. It says you can use this one or You can put up your own sign, but if you're going to be open during this period, you have to have a sign that says mask required to enter. So I explained to Mark Victor, yeah, if it's legitimate, if the owner really wants you to wear a mask, if that's his market, his preference, he may lose business, he may gain business in the free market, but if it's legitimate what he wants, but I told him you have to realize, Mark, that here, and he's in Arizona, he's in the Phoenix area. I said, if you read these mandates, they required the business owner to have that sign requiring a mask. And if you don't exactly. know that, you will think all these private businesses want you to wear a mask, exactly. but they had to yeah. do it to be open.
0: Exactly. And that, that creates this uh, uh, illusion of popular uh, consent for something when it's the literal opposite. They're being forced to do something. A similar right. dynamic with segregation. Uh, during the uh, in the in the uh, especially coming into the 1950s and 1960s in the South, the reason that they were having to so brutally enforce uh, those uh, restrictions, those those segregation restrictions, particularly the uh, requirement that that whites and and non-whites be separated, is because an increasing number of businesses didn't care. They're like, yeah. I don't care who comes here, and so it was actually the fact that the state was having to enforce that exactly. because that was becoming less and less popular. And I, I mentioned that in, in my anymore. book.
1: I in my book. I talk about the whole Rosa Parks situation, that that wasn't yep. private bus companies wanting black people no. to sit in the back of the bus. Those were st- um, uh, government yep. uh, ordinances and requirements that said that because the private market will solve those problems. If there's a demand, uh, the market will will meet the demand. They won't just yep. automatically exclude all people Black people to the back of the bus, there would be companies that welcome them to sit wherever they want on the bus if you let the market do it, uh, And but they, the market wasn't allowed to function. But people, if you look at the typical kind of leftist argument about the Deep South and the, the restrictions, they'll say that the individuals, the businesses, were- prejudiced yeah. and you know and yeah. and wanted to hold black people down but if you look at it it's always the state it's the same thing with fugitive slave laws in the north slavery yes. would have fallen apart by itself you know without any Frumble. kind of a civil war as it did in many other parts of the world if we didn't have fugitive yeah. slave laws in the north you know in the you know mid 1800s and the 1860s yeah. if we didn't have these laws that says if there's a fugitive slave that arrives in the north, they have to be returned to their rightful owner. Um, That's, that's a government imposed mandate. Now, if you didn't have those government imposed mandates, a slave could go to another non-slave area and could work there and there would be no way to, you know, repatriate that person to an owner in another state. So it was actually a government keeping slavery going where it would have fallen apart on its own if there hadn't been those like fugitive slave laws.
0: Exactly, exactly. And it wouldn't have led to the government simply moving chattel slavery from the private sector to the Bureau of Prisons. But that's a whole other subject. Um, <laughs> yeah. I, 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 uh, something came up here that um, that I wanted to ask you about, and it is in Arizona. It's an executive order signed by the governor, by Governor Ducey, called the Enhanced Surveillance Advisory. Can you tell us about this? What What is this and how does this... About- oh, there it is.
1: Yeah, I'm showing it to you right here. It is, <laughs> it is the creepiest... Things, Spike, that you you can imagine, like um, we have one of these two-faced governors that wanted to take the CARES Act money and the American Rescue Plan money, but he made a deal with the devil. There's strings attached, and yes. to so to take all this money, he has to advertise uh, through state mechanisms like highway signs and whatnot to tell everybody to take the shot. Um, but there's a string attached. If you take that CARES Act money then he is required to share back to the CDC and HHS all the vaccination data for um you know for anybody who gets the shot and it's required every 24 and every 24 hours so the way he did it he did this really creepy executive order called um, that's called the uh, enhanced surveillance advisory and yes. Usually when they have like a creepy draconian thing, they'll name it some euphemistic name like the Patriot Act or the Rainbows and Puppy Dogs Act, you know, something that (laughs) sounds harmless. But he actually named it for, you know, exactly what it is. And in here, he he says that... you can't even opt out of this. And this is a Republican governor that wanted to take yes. all the money and tell everybody that they should get the shots and they should wear a mask. But at the same time, he wanted to stay out of the other side of his mouth, depending on who he's talking to, that he's against mandates. But here, here's what it says in here. Uh, in this is from, from Ducey's thing, uh, that the CDC and HHS Will receive COVID-19 immunization and vaccine uh, administration information through the immunization gateway project every 24 hours. The following information must be provided of all vaccinated individuals. The individual's name, date of birth, gender, residential address, phone number, and vaccine priority group. So he's requiring that it be shared with the CDC and Homeland Security, I mean, I mean HHS, Health and Human Services, every 24 hours. And then a really funny part is on the last part here, he says that um, you can't opt out. There's a medical privacy law in Arizona, which I also have printed out here because he he mentions that medical privacy law. He says, um, let me let me read you where he says you can't opt out. Such information sharing may be permitted, regardless of whether any individual has opted out of having their individually identifiable health information accessible through the health information organization pursuant to Arizona revised statutes 36-3803. So he's saying even if you use help? the medical privacy statute in Arizona, which is this section yes. 36 uh, Title 36, Section 3803, even if you do that, and what does that say? It says, an individual has the right to opt out of having his individually identifiable health information accessible through a health information organization by providing notice as explained in the health information organization's notice of health information practices. So he said, even if you take advantage of that state law in Arizona that says, you have the right to opt out because you have 100% of anything autonomy you have, yeah. over your own health, 100% health privacy. Under that, Arizona law 36-3803, Ducey says right here that you, know, uh, you cannot opt out even under that provision. Why? Because the deal he made with the devil... The strings that is attached to getting that CARES Act money is that he has to share, he has to populate this national database. And, you know, not to get too much into the conspiracy theory angles of this, but you can see where that's going through Spike. Oh god. They found yeah. through a health issue, they found a way to create a national database or a mm-hmm. social credit score. So if anybody can succeed in making a digital currency rather than just, you know, allowing cash transactions to continue. This is a way that they are creating this national credit score. Any governor that took this money is required by the CDC as one of the strings attached to share every 24 hours, all the vaccine data, not just generic generic data, not what they would call metadata, but your actual date of birth, your address, your phone number required to share all that personal information about you. So, I mean, people talk about, you know, in the future, like, you um, you know, social credit score, digital currency, You know, people will talk about the mark of the beast. And, you know, you can't unless you have your pre-approved, you know, number code, you're not going to be allowed to buy or sell or trade or anything like that. And you wonder, like, how would they accomplish that? Well, this is how they accomplish that. And Governor Ducey, a Republican governor, just did this right out in the open through executive order. It was done different ways in different states. But the bottom line is any state that took that money has to share this information with the feds.
0: And the thing is, you know, for those who are thinking, yeah, well, I mean, this is a vaccination thing and maybe they're going too far with this and they broke their own rules. But to go to that next step of saying this is going to be could potentially be used to create a greater or wider database and, and use it as a social credit score system, if you're doubting this you don't understand how government works. Government creates the thing using this pretext. And now they have this, and this is their baseline of power. And then through mission creep, it just keeps growing. So they already have this database. It's it's implemented in, in all or most of the 50 states already. They already have a good sizable percentage of the population in it. It is not that much for them to go, you know we could have we already have this database that's being updated every 24 hours. It's got everyone's address, it's got everyone's name on it. It's got all their info. It's it's got it's even got their vaccination information. We could just start requiring that everything is on this. And requiring yeah. that everyone be on it, it's already all the uh, uh, the mechanism and infrastructure has already been put in place through the CARES Act and the and the uh, yeah, American and they could sell uh, it as something
1: plan. that makes life easier. That it makes it yes. easier for you to file your taxes because they know yeah. what you bought. If it was digital currency, yeah. which I think yeah. is the next step, um, then they could see where you spent money. or if there's something mm-hmm. like sales tax or value added tax or income tax ta- tax or a mm-hmm. businessman talking about expense deductions to offset his income. All of it would be right there. And they say, oh, there'd be a lot easier. You know, you wouldn't have to do as much record keeping for auditing and whatnot. But at the other side of the coin is they could just shut it off and say, no, you're you're a criminal, or you have illegal income, you're a drug dealer, that income you have is not legitimately obtained, you should not be able to spend that to buy a a Ferrari or a Corvette, or you bought this house over here. And if you used your digital currency, then they could calculate the capital gains tax when the government inflates the money and devalues the money, they can call that a windfall for you, when your house that's still worth the same In relation to other tangible goods like gold, silver, or a bag of potatoes, it's still worth the same. But in inflated currency, it's worth a lot more. And then they could capture and take that capital gains from you just because every transaction went through a digital network. I know it's something the state would really want to do. It's not a fantasy or a conspiracy concept that would allow them to snoop on every transaction. And they're they're already upset that there's cash transactions. You go to the swap meet, you go to the flea market, you buy a guy's car, you buy a gun, you buy whatever, you buy raw milk that's not been pasteurized like the government wants you to do, and you can still get away with it now. But if they could clamp down on that, and I think hopefully Americans are smart enough to push back at that point. But frankly, Spike, I've been kind of disappointed in, in our fellow Americans, because I live in a big Western state. And these Western states have the reputation of being pioneers and frontiersmen and the land of the free and the home of the brave. And I looked around me and everybody just cowered and went along with this. They shut down their businesses. They shut down their churches. They started wearing the mask. And there was, in most cases, there wasn't a guy pointing a gun at you, making. And you do it. It was all self-imposed. And I was yeah, like, yeah, yeah. disappointed, like, what happened to this rugged individualism? You know, like, and especially out here in the West, these big western states where they have this reputation for you know freedom and the cowboy mentality, the frontier yeah, mentality, yeah. all the John Wayne movies that were made out here in this county that I live in. And I was disappointed that just people caved in with you know not even a whimper and you know it's kind of funny speaking of churches a lot of the churches in this area did a lot of big talk and bluster before 2020 came along that said you know they're never going to shut us down they're never going to stop us from following god in some foreign yeah, oppressive yeah. countries they're not allowed to meet and get together that will never happen to us they'll have yeah. to drag us out of here and yet they all shut down they all they they all just willingly shut down and think, well, you know, we don't want to violate social distance. And so, you know, the First Amendment just went out of the window. But these churches around here that would talk about how brave they are and that, you know, they're the last stand against tyranny. No, when the tyranny came, they just all caved in and shut down.
0: Yeah. And that's the problem. And it's it's it is a cult. And I talk a lot about this. Um to pretend that we're going to get libertarians elected to office by tricking everyone in a debate and and we say the thing and then we get elected and we trickle down liberty on everyone. They will immediately demand that we do that the people that we replaced did because that's what they know because we don't have a culture of liberty in this country certainly not anymore maybe in pockets maybe in certain uh subcultures and in different communities and things like that and and certainly in the value-based community that is the liberty movement but by and large we don't have that yeah and, and so that's i want exactly, to i want
1: to go no yeah. go ahead no that's exactly what i told angela mccardle last week she's running for kind of under the mises talk the chair of yep, the lnc libertarian me. national committee and i told her like um look you know Politics is not the answer. There's the political method and there's the economic method. The political method is fraud, coercion, and theft. The economic method is voluntary transactions. That's what we want. But I told her, since kind of people have lost faith in national politics, maybe if you get this position as the LNC chair, you should encourage candidates to file for every position, if it's dog catcher, city council, everything, not so that they can win and use a club, a billy club over the head of their neighbor, but so that they can have the media platform to talk about liberty. Because I know here in my area, if you just file the papers to be a candidate, even if you don't spend any money on your campaign, all the media outlets will give you free pet press. The local paper will give you a full page to talk about your issues and what's important to you. The uh, the TV stations will feature you. So you're, you're doing it. Not to win the position, like let's say you did win the position, well, fine. You yeah. can you can abide by the principles of liberty. You can go against all the coercive government stuff. Exactly. But The purpose is not really to get the political victory, but if you if you file candidates for all these positions, you can at least get that soapbox, that bully pulpit, the media platform where you can start talking about voluntary exchanges and the advantages of voluntarism rather than coercive transactions.
0: Oh, actually, absolutely 100%. And if they are elected like you were, then they can actually put their ideas into practice on the political sphere of saying, no, I'm not going to do anything about that. I'm not I'm going to let leave you and trust you to to fix that. And I'm not going to put you in a cage over it. So I wanted to end uh, by talking about uh, the concept of nullification. And and in my mind, there are kind of two main uh, forms of nullification. Obviously, there's jury nullification, which is uh, a juror being able to to decide, uh, I don't know or care uh, if the person in front of me is guilty of the crime that they're being accused of committing. I might even think that they did it, but I don't think that should be a crime. I don't think it's just that it's a crime. So I'm simply going to vote not guilty. But there's also nullification that can happen at different levels of government. Uh, Probably one of the most uh, um, explosive and successful examples has been the increasing decriminalization, legalization of both recreational and medical cannabis, despite the fact that, at the federal level it is still every bit as illegal as it was in the 1960s 70s when the war on drugs started it's still the same level of of uh uh, what is it schedule one it's still at the highest level of illegality and yet the majority of americans live in either a city county or state where it is at least partially legal to consume marijuana in some way now we're seeing now uh, uh, immigration sanctuary states, we're seeing uh, um, to, uh, Second Amendment sanctuary states, we're seeing this growth. It's often as a result of uh, partisan anger at the president who's in charge at the federal level, whatever, whatever it takes, we're seeing that there is this kind of popular movement. Uh, in, in many cases, uh, we're seeing defend the guard legislation is becoming more and more popular. I wanted to get your thoughts on that on the activism I agree with you that it's the market is going to get us out of this. Uh, I think largely blockchain is going to get us out of this. Or I shouldn't say get us out of this. But a lot of our solutions are going to be found in the market... And it's going to be a no-brainer that that's a better solution than anything that's going to come from the political sphere. But from a, uh, I guess, a defensive or harm reduction standpoint in the political sphere, what are your thoughts on uh, using nullification as a means of, of kind of hedging in uh, at the federal and state level the, the tyrannical laws that they're trying to impose?
1: Yeah, there's a great question, Spike. There's a mistaken concept out there that the court's the judiciary are the final arbiters of everything, that whatever they say, whatever the Supreme Court says, that's the last word on the subject. But it was never intended to be that way with the balance of powers of the executive branch, the judicial branch, and the legislative branch. Each one of them has the ability to nullify an unconstitutional edict or procl- proclamation of the other one. Like, for example, um, say that, that um, there's some illegal proclamation about guns, about gun to control that violates the Second Amendment, even if it comes from the Supreme Court, even if it comes from Congress, um, the executive branch can still say, no, that's unconstitutional. I'm not going to enforce that, like I did with yep. the mask mandates and the and the occupancy restrictions violated the First Amendment freedom of assembly. But people don't know that. Ever since Marbury versus Madison, it's kind of grown to the point where everyone thinks, no, nope, Judiciary has a final word on this. These, they're the arbiters of constitutionality, but no, the legislature can override what the judiciary does. If the judiciary says, you can't do this, or you must do that, or you have to bus, bus children from this district to that district, whatever they say, um, the legislature can override that and say no. Uh, we can rein you in, just like you think you can rein us in, and then ultimately the executive branch doesn't have to enforce something from the legislative branch or the judicial branch. But yeah, you're exactly right, and I I have done that, you know, and I have stood up to things that that have come in from other levels of government. This isn't exactly along the lines of what you're saying, but for example, here in this state, uh, the National Guard. I mean, I mean, the uh, Governor Ducey has tried to, you know, he is term limited. So he's leaving the governor position. He's had two terms there and he plans to run for president. So what's his strategy? He wants to be exactly like Donald Trump, talk yeah. everything like Donald Trump, the border, the border, the wall, the wall, the border, the border. So um, even if it's not merited, even if there's not, like my crime rates down here in my county are lower here on the border than the crime rates in Tucson and in Phoenix and lower than the average for uh, the whole state of Arizona, very family oriented people, just soft spoken, hard-working people here. Um, and I feel much I got nine children spike and I feel much happier. My children walking around in my community on the border at night yeah. than if they were in Tucson or Phoenix. But back to the right. nullification thing, that governor said, well, um, I'm going to declare an emergency on the border. The federal government has not declared an emergency on the border, but I'm going to declare an emergency on the border, and I'm going to send the National Guard, I'm going to militarize the border, send troops to the border, guys in camouflage, Humvees, Army equipment, I'm going to militarize the border." Um, And I knew that our local merchants were opposed to that kind of idea, making this into East Germany and militarizing the border troops in the streets, guys on the corner standing with machine guns. So I got a call from the the general in charge of all the National Guard forces in Arizona saying, look, Governor Ducey wants me to call you and ask how many National Guard troops do you want in your county? Because I'm the chief law enforcement officer for the county, so I can say no or I can say yes. And I told him, no, I don't want any. I don't want any National Guard troops militarizing uh, this county here. And it was what it was is uh, Governor Ducey trying to make points, uh, political points, so he can run for president saying that he's opposing Biden. Biden is saying, oh, we don't have an emergency on the border. But Ducey is saying, yes, we do. So I was able to. It, maybe the word nullification isn't proper in this context, but I was able to say no, and stand up for something that I knew that would do harm for our community. It would dissuade tourism. It would hurt the local merchants, hurt business. Yeah. A lot of people like to come to the border and shop and whatnot. So I, I said no to that. And one of the other sheriffs, uh, uh, well, two of the other sheriffs said yes, and then another one of the border sheriffs, there's four border sheriffs four border counties, said no also. And this is. Governor Ducey was going to charge the Arizona taxpayers for this deployment of the National Guard. In most cases of an emergency, a hurricane, an earthquake, if the governor activates the National Guard, he can get reimbursed by the federal government because the federal government will declare a parallel emergency to fit the state declared emergency. But Governor Ducey said, no, we're going to just the taxpayers of Arizona are going to pay for this uh, many tens of millions of dollars to militarize the border, not knowing what he's talking about, that we have very calm, low-crime communities in my county along the border. So like I said, maybe that's not a perfect example of nullification, but it was my ability to stand up to something that another branch of government, another aspect of government was trying to impose on me, just like I did with the mask.
0: It is actually a very good example of nullification in that well first of all you were choosing to nullify you know what what he was trying to implement in your in your county but also it was the act of electing you as sheriff that was an act of nullification against if I'm, if I'm in your county and I vote for you as sheriff, which I 100% would, I, I know voting for you doesn't just mean, after hearing what you have to say, doesn't just mean I don't have to worry about mask mandates or vaccine mandates. I know that across the board, when something is tyrannical, when it is violating the rights of the people, that you're going to say, no, we're not going to do that. And that is my act of nullification by voting for you, nullifying making it at the very least more difficult because part part of nullification is that when you have a uh, second amendment sanctuary cannabis sanctuary um, uh, decriminalization of drugs uh, it usually also comes with an order that the police in that area uh, can't cooperate with uh, with federal authorities and sometimes with state authorities to enforce those laws at the state or federal level making it functionally impossible for uh, especially the feds to try to enforce that you know it's still against federal law to violate certain uh second uh certain gun control laws at the federal level in missouri for example but the atf announced we can't really do anything we might be able to do a raid here or there but we can't really effectively enforce federal gun laws in missouri anymore because they tied the hands of the police there and said you can't enforce it so that's another example of that it's the
1: same in arizona like uh the nra ranks all 50 states on what have the best gun laws uh invariably arizona is number one because we don't have any permit requirement for open carry or concealed okay. carry you can own any kind of a weapon there's no state law against say like owning a machine gun or anything there would still be the federal law where you have to pay the right. 200 transfer tax but there's no ammunition restrictions you can own yeah. any kind of ammunition and you know uh you know sawed off shotguns none of that's illegal at the state level so we have just a little pitch for arizona for any of your viewers who are thinking <laughs> about arizona like we have Absolutely great, the best gun laws in the US here, what you could call constitutional carry. And you're exactly right, if ATF tries to come in and do something and get a local sheriff or a police chief to contribute officers to a task force to do something, if it's against state law, they're very likely to not get the assistance. And I don't know if you know this, but most federal agencies do almost everything they do through state and local officers in a task force. Like when I was in DEA, that was it. Like 90% of our personnel were state and local officers that are part of a federally run task force where the federal agents are just kind of administrators of the task force
0: yeah yeah exactly that the numbers are in the actual state and local enforcers that are being for lack of a better word deputized to do that work or they're part of a task force to be able to do that and if it becomes either illegal or just too unpopular for them to unfor to enforce to help with that enforcement then federal law be in in that federal law or those federal restrictions effectively become nullified in that area in any real enforceable way and and there's and You know, that that's I think as libertarians, you know, you said it, we're going to have to at least start locally in working on nullification. I I would love to see a libertarian uh, sheriff project where we focus on finding sheriffs who have people who are similar like minded thoughts as you who run for sheriff in their communities, get elected and demonstrate what it looks like when you don't have a police state telling you how to live your life. Yeah, I I wish there was a group like that. fighting against the people in power outside of it.
1: Yeah, like something like a Libertarian Sheriff's Association would be great. There's something called the Constitutional Sheriffs and Police Officers Association, CSPOA. But on a lot of things, they um you know they take the very you know, maybe neocon hardline on drug war right. on different things like yeah. that where they're very statist in certain areas um whereas they're not advocating the volunteerism that but i think that's a great idea
0: yeah no i i, I think it should be a project that we do um and uh it it, it it wouldn't take more than a few we could have five or ten sheriffs across the country demonstrating on a regular basis, this is what not having tyranny over your head looks like. And invariably, those are also going to become safer communities, those are going to become more prosperous and happy communities, they're going to be where people flock to get away from the tyranny in the county next door, a lot easier to move from county to county than from state to state, right? So a lot of yeah. people within the state voting with their wallets and their and their feet to to come there, I, I think it's a great thing. So I, I, I really appreciate your time. And I, I thank you for coming on before I let you go, I want to give you a chance to give any last thoughts uh, that you have? Anything that we we didn't get a chance to discuss? Anything you want to promote uh, that's coming up? Uh, anything you want to say for as long as you want to say, Sheriff uh, David Hathaway, the floor is yours.
1: Yeah, I'll give some real easy contact information. I don't get, I don't mind getting emails. Sometimes people hide from the personal contact information, but uh, let me first of all just give out a real easy email. It's just uh, Sheriff. David Hathaway at gmail.com. No weird characters, no weird punctuation, just sheriff David Hathaway at gmail.com. Any of your listeners feel free to free to reach out at me uh that like uh things I have coming up. I'm gonna be uh participating one of the one of the uh presenters in the the tom wood school of life any of you guys that are part of that like talking about arizona the advantages disadvantages of living in arizona some of the things we discussed you know the the, the climatic regions the possibilities for living off the grid the political climate the gun laws you know the, the the homeschooling like we've homeschooled all nine of our children things like that you know he's he's kicked off this program where he's getting uh different presenters to to come in and speak to his group on different topics to try to get a little away from just the libertarian theory and get more into the practical aspects of how we can create like a parallel society. So I'm going to be participating in that. And that's about it. Um, you know, um, I have written a lot of articles for Lourockwell.com. I've written articles for the Libertarian Institute. So you can go search for my name on those websites and find a lot of the things I've written. But it's been great. Uh, being on your show, Spike. Thank you so much.
0: Absolutely. And thank you for coming on. I'd love to have you on again in the future to talk more about uh, all sorts of different issues. So hopefully we can do that in the future. But I really do appreciate you coming on. David, thanks so much, man. I really appreciate it.
1: Thank you, Spike. It's been great.
0: Wasn't that amazing? Like that's. Imagine that. Imagine having sheriffs like that across the country like dozens of them or even well over a 100 of them, where there are these pockets of liberty where when at the state level, at the federal level, or even at the city level, um, we didn't really get to get into that with this, but there were certain things that the county and the and, and local cities were needing help enforcing. And he says, no, we're not doing that. That, that violates their rights. Knowing that the only way that that sheriff's department— is going to be used is to protect the people's lives, rights and property. If you had enough of that, it doesn't really matter what they pass because they can't do anything about it. They can't stop those elected sheriffs, those elected officers, highest law enforcement officers in their counties from just saying no, you can't do that here. You can do that in that county over there if they're okay with it. If they if the if the count if, if the sheriff over there is okay with that. That's fine. Not, not here though. And as I said before, or as I said during the interview, as people flock to the places where there's more freedom, and as a result, more prosperity, more liberty, uh, and, and all of that, there's more safety and uh, better education, all of that. Um, that's going to show how that works. And I think uh, I, uh, we're going to be talking a lot more about that in the future. Uh, we need to have libertarian sheriffs. I think that's some seriously low-hanging fruit. There are plenty of uh, of counties where we could get someone in who runs on whatever the newest, the the latest thing is of that of that time. I'm not going to enforce this, whatever that thing is that people are mad about. Get elected on that and demonstrate what libertarian, uh, what a libertarian sheriff would look like. So, anyway, I hope you enjoyed it. Um, and I hope that you uh, enjoyed this episode, and I enjoyed you, and I enjoyed uh, all of your comments, and uh, I really appreciate you guys tuning in. Uh, be sure to tune in tomorrow at 8 p.m. for The Writer's Block. Uh, Matt Wright is going to have Christine Kusler-Womack on uh, his show. She is the, uh, she's with the York County uh, Pennsylvania Libertarian Party, and uh, she's going to talk about everything that's going on there. Uh, she is also running for chair of the Libertarian Party of Pennsylvania, and uh, they're going to be talking about uh, all sorts of uh, stuff uh, happening in Pennsylvania. Um, their convention, which I will be at, uh, will be next weekend. Uh, but this weekend, if you are anywhere near Melbourne, Florida, uh, come on out. Go to the Libertarian Party of Florida's website. I always forget to do this. What is the Libertarian I think it's lbflorida.com. Nope. Hold on. If you go to the Libertarian Party of Florida's website at LPF.org, lpf Libertarian Party Florida org, um, you can sign up to become uh, to, to be to join the uh, Libertarian Party of Florida convention. Uh, I will be there Friday night, and I will be uh, I'll actually be there Friday in the afternoon and Friday night. Uh, I am doing a. Um, a uh, um, panel with Justin Amash talking about libertarian messaging, and then I will be hosting the dinner on Friday night. Then on Saturday, if you are anywhere near Dothan, Alabama, then come on out and go to do it again. Uh, the Libertarian Party of Alabama website. Libertarian Party Alabama by going to LPAlabama.org. Do the rope a dope on me. I thought it was Anyway, lpalabama.org, uh, and you can sign up for their convention, and uh, I will be there at that on Saturday, and we're having a, we're having a concert featuring Afro Man, uh, the, yes, that Afro Man, the rapper, and a bunch of other uh, entertainers, including me, the greatest rapper alive, Spike Cohen. I'm not, gonna, I'm not a rapper, uh, but I will be there, and we'll be hanging out uh, Saturday night, so come on out and see me there. And then Sunday night, I'm going home so you can't, I'm not having anyone over, I'm sorry, but uh, join us next Tuesday uh, for another exciting episode of the Muddy Waters of Freedom, where Matt Wright and I parse through the week's events like the chipper little monkeys we are, and then join me right back here on Wednesday, same spike place, same spike time, for another fantastic episode of My Fellow Americans. Folks, thanks again for tuning in, I'm so happy to have you here, can't wait to talk to you all again, Hope to see you soon, maybe in Melbourne, Florida, or Dothan, Alabama. Uh, thank you again, guys. I love y'all. I'm Spike Cohen. You I did that wrong. I'm Spike Cohen, and you are the power. God bless, guys. <laughs>